Is that handsome? Canvas, art and ideas on FBI Radio. It's just past 11 and you're listening to Canvas, your weekly fine arts program on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm your host today, Sibella D'Souza. David is away in Bega, so I am alone in the studio, but I am not emotionally alone because I am surrounded by some really great guests that are going to come in. Um, But we're going to push forward today after the momentum that we had yesterday. We had such, I mean, last week, we had such amazing feedback about our Curators of Colour episode hosted by Nanette Orley, um, featuring Talia Smith and Seb Henry-Jones. So we're you know, we're, we're going forward today with more artists and curators of colour, which, you know, I dream and love about. Up first is Sydney artist Angela Tiatia, whose most recent video work, Narcissist, took my breath away when I saw it at Sullivan and Strumpf about two weeks ago. Then curator Naomi Segal and Connor Shah will be discussing their exhibition Peach Blossom Spring um, that opened at First Draft Gallery as part of their April exhibitions. Today's episode also kind of has an impromptu theme, which is artworks and practices that are inspired by proverbs and mythology. So it's going to be a really good day. I love a bit of narrative-driven content. I'd like to acknowledge the rightful caretakers of this land upon which we broadcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Canvas pays respects to our Indigenous listeners, their elders, our guests, past, present and emerging, and their elders, past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that this land was never sold, traded or given up, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And it is very important when we're talking about storytellers and we're talking about, I don't know, we're talking about histories and, you know, ancient proverbs, we need to be acknowledging that Um, We need to be acknowledging our Indigenous listeners and the land upon which we are broadcasting from. We're back to our regular guest music curator with Melbourne-based musician Makita selecting our tracks. Uh, Next week, we have her on as an interview, which will be really, really lovely and we're really excited about. Her first track for us today is Wrong from Everything But The Girl. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. That song was as old as I am. Starting the show today was UK group Everything But The Girl with their 1995 track, Wrong. All the tracks this month are chosen by our talented music curator, Makita, who is a Melbourne-based DJ and musician. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5, and I'm Sabella D'Souza. Um, we're joined in studio right now by the talented, amazing Angela Tiatia. Angela Tiatia's art explores contemporary culture, drawing its attention to the relationship, drawing drawing attention to its relationship to representation, gender, neocolonialism, and the commodification of the body and place, often through the lens of history and popular culture. Um, Angela Tiatia was born in Auckland, New Zealand, and Angela Tiatia is of a Samoan and Australian heritage. I was also born in New Zealand. Really? Yeah, I, I was born that. in Wellington. Oh. I have a New Zealand passport, not an Australian passport. <laughs> <laughs> One time I lost my citizenship. It was very stressful, but it's okay. I have it now. Don't worry. <laughs> um, 
Narcissus is your most recent work currently showing at Sullivan and Strumpf Gallery under an exhibition of the same name, same yeah. title. Um, the name and work is obviously a reference, or maybe not obviously, um, a reference to a tale from Greek mythology as well as perhaps several Baroque paintings of the same name. What draws you to the tale of Narcissus? And maybe could you tell us what that is? <laughs> So Narcissus is a tale where its first written recording is from 8 AD by Ovid in a a three-volume book of myths. And so in book three, there's Narcissus and Echo. And so I'm not sure if for those of you who are not familiar with the myth, uh, Narcissus, when he was born, his mother... uh, Liriope was warned by an oracle to keep this beautiful child away from his reflection for his whole entire life because it would be it would become his demise because he's just so utterly gorgeous and beautiful and so um, so one day he went hunting and he was lured by a goddess to a pond of water and then this was the first time that he encountered his reflection and not knowing that he fell in love with his reflection um, thinking that it was somebody else and then um, so there are different variations to the ending of the tale where he either falls in and drowns or he um, uh, he dies of starvation or he turns into gold dust and turns into the flower narcissus yeah the daffodil yeah which was my favorite flower as a child it was my favorite flower i don't think i ever developed another favorite flower after that but you know yeah it's a a sad flower oh yeah it is a very beautiful flower too and so at um, so what I what drew me to the work was it's such an enduring tale and because it it speaks about the very core of human nature and it's lasted that long because it, it speaks to that divine truth. Yes. Yeah. And what's the significance of this tale being told by many familiar faces? Because this is a video work that you've created. It's a about 14 minutes it's huge it's like it's ginormous it kind of seems monumental um with many faces familiar faces to me of queer and brown people from around sydney mainly creatives and artists um what was the significance or the link between having these faces Mm. and the tale yeah so um so what i wanted to do with the tale was because in its whole entire history through paintings and sculpture and novels and poems and film and television that Narcissus is always portrayed as the singular male figure and so I wanted to create this work as an experiment almost to say hey what would happen if I uh, created a platform for 40 Narcissus and so part of the the um, casting process which is really natural to um, my way of living and my practice and the way that I cast this project was it had to be of a diverse um, crew and cast yeah that was so important to me because yeah it's um it's 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 something that's really important to the way that I live I have a diverse community of people around me and always have. And, yeah, I've just been fighting for um, the visibility of a diverse population for 25 years now. It's it's something that I've always fought for and it will never change. And, the, yeah, like when I went and saw the work, it was something that was like I'd never seen POC framed pe- person of colour, <laughs> POC and queer people from Sydney framed in this like beautiful, decadent, like gorgeous, yeah. like hyper real, but um, 
very Baroque-esque in like the colours and the shading and the way that people moved on screen. Um, Martin Reyes, who is, you know, a friend of the show, but also who plays directly after Canvas with Weekend Lunch, um, was in this work. Yeah. And you had a really funny way of um, scouting him. <laughs> <laughs> so the casting process was mostly done online. I did a casting call out online. And then I just had to push for that last 20% of um, diversity. And so when I'm in casting mode, which is about three to four months, everywhere I go, I'm like looking for faces and people and energy. And um, like, I really want that real generous and um, and confident energy. And so I went to Sissy Ball. Um, A great place to go yes. scouting. <laughs> and <laughs> I just went to watch the show. <laughs> and then I just happened to see this beautiful young man um, walk down um, doing his catwalk. And I was like, who is that? And so he just, I was, he was in my mind for um, a couple of days. And then finally, I just went on to Instagram. I was like, who is this? Who I is this? I remember seeing your post and being like, just like one standing alone <laughs> in a runway and being like, you being like, who is this boy? I must find out who this gorgeous boy is. Meanwhile, the back end story of that is Martin had lost and broken his phone. And yeah. then all these people would try to contact him being like, Angela Tietia wants to know who you are. <laughs> You've been scouted. This is your moment. Um, keeping that in mind, let's go to our next track picked by Makita. This is The Streets with um, Has It Come to This? I'm Sibella D'Souza, and you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. Material. You're listening to the streets. Down your aerial. Has it come to this? How long has it been since you listened to the streets? Traveling back to 2002, we just heard Has It Come to This? I'm Sabella D'Souza, and we're in studio right now with artist Angela Tia Tia talking about her work, Narcissus, currently on showing at Sullivan and Strumpf Gallery. We were just talking about the streets in the break, mm. but we were also talking about the process for filming your work. Mm. Could you talk about you know, we talked about casting and how the wonderful Martin was a part of it. Yeah. But what was the process for filming on set like? Because you've always worked in movement and mm-hmm. this was kind of something where you had to kind of step back and bring people together and yeah. they were the movement. Yeah. So it was a huge production to make this work. It was a year in the making. And so the production side takes up the core um, time. And then so being on the actual set was one day and we packed in at three PM and um, and so the I had a professional film crew with me and so I had um, had worked with the director of photography Benjamin Shirley and so I gave across my vision for the look of the work and what I was trying to get across and so he was in charge of all the film crew and then on the day I was in charge of um, disseminating the choreograph the choreography and um, the the characters and who was who and we stand and the timing of everything. And so the way that I choreographed this piece was um, that it was a domino effect so that once the initial touch on um, on Narcissus's head like started the whole choreographic piece because it was so loud in there everyone was screaming I'd ha- I had amped them up so much before the take that they were screaming at the top of their lungs and so and the space was so cavernous that it was like echoing and and so I knew that underneath that that sound that they would not be able to hear my direction so it was really important for me for them to self-direct through the domino effect of of um of gestures and um, yelling out keywords um, in the piece, and so 
Um, we had um, a huge pack-in. Um, we had huge, big uh, curtains, black fabric. We had black fabric in the pool to um, have a reflective quality. I had a scuba dri- a diver that laid out the back black fabric in the pool, a lifesaver, a nurse. It was a huge production. So on the day, it was really important for me to have my, my game Zen face on and just to be there my job there that day was to be there for the cast mm. um, and to make sure that they could bring their best game to the performance. You mentioned before that, you know, Narcissus was part of this, the, was in this set of three kind of books. Yeah. Is that how, where you drew the inspiration for dividing the 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 people? Because in, in, sorry, in the video work, there are kind of like three kind of distinct um, moods that are kind of yeah. running through those two a- those areas. Could you explain that? Oh, um, this was from because um, I researched the work so much, and then um, there was um, a set of theories on the sense of self and how that's divided. Oh, okay, so cool. yeah, so on the left hand side, the the group is divided into the dying self, and then the selfish self, and then to the right they are the tribal self. Mm. And so there are other types of selves in research, but I just focused on those three, and so um, and so that uh, so that it added to the sense of chaos um, when you're looking at the work, and that you didn't really quite know um, how the moods would shift. Yeah, I really wanted that sense of chaos in the work. And it is really commendable because it is about 14 minutes long. Yeah. And when I went to go see it, I came in like halfway through, as you often do with video works. Yeah. Um, And you do that thing when you come through and then you, I don't know, was so enamoured by it that I stayed and watched till the end. Yeah. Um, And then re-watched it through to back to where I watched it again and then past that point. Yeah. Which I think is really commendable with a video work and something that... And it really speaks to the narrative that you've built with these, you know, 40, 40 people. 40 actors, 40, yeah. With these 40 actors all yeah. moving together in unison and yeah. working together. Yeah. And so on the day we had in total a crew of 80. Wow. Yeah. And so um, so this work was not um, – this work was really a, a group effort um, to get it to get it out there and um, just such a – a gifted, talented, and generous group of people, which is so, it's always so impo- important for me to have these type of people on set with me um, in the creation of a work like this. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And were there any thematic links between this work that you've done and any of your previous? Obviously, there's movement and there's dimensions of power and beauty mm. um but were there any other links that you found between this work and previous works that you'd done there's always the sense of um the unknowing and um um and i guess the core theme across all of my works is always talking directly to the structures of power who are those in power who are those who are powerlessness and in that powerlessness how are they rendered invisible and how does that impact upon their sense of being or their sense of being in the world yeah and so it's talking about um, those relationships always 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 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Angela, or me, and us as in the royal us that is people listening in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was artist Angela Tiatia. You can catch her show, Narcissus, which is open until the 18th of April, which is this Thursday. I highly recommend it. It's beautiful work. Oh, and I'm going to be in there from 10 to 2, from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so I'm going to... Come meet the artist. Yeah. <laughs> Sit in there and see who turns up. Yeah, Please come. exactly. Definitely come. We're up next, we're chatting with curator Naomi Segal and artist Connoisseur about another exhibition based on another ancient tale, Peach Blossom Spring. But first, let's go to our next track, handpicked by the lovely Makita. This is Machine Woman with their track, I Can Mend Your Broken Heart. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5 or via our digital stream. That track was Kasim Mossi's remix of Russian-born, Berlin-based Machine Woman with her track, I Commend a Broken Heart. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio or wherever you get your podcasts. So... From Greek mythology, we're moving on to another exhibition inspired by an ancient le- legend by Tiao Yuan Ming. Sorry, I've got a cold today, so my voice is not at its peak optimum. I'm joined by curator Naomi Segal and artist Connoisseur to talk about the exhibition Peach Blossom Spring. Naomi is an emerging artist and curator engaging with contemporary Asian and diasporic practices. She's interested in cultural recovery, remembrance, and love, especially how the love of her Chinese family overcomes linguistic and cultural barriers. It's very beautiful. And it kind of <laughs> reminds me of this idea of, you know, curatorial care and love that we've kind of been talking yeah, about. I'm interested in generosity and care and love, all those good things. I love it. And Kona Xia is an emerging interdisciplinary artist born in Urumqi, Xinjiang, Uyghur. We go. Yeah. Um, an autonomous region of China. He is currently based in Sydney and is addicted to jelly joysticks from the IGA. Connor, what is a jelly joystick? So it's basically <laughs> like these tiny, you know, like Zupa Dupas, like a smaller version of that, but just jelly in a stick. Yeah. Those jelly, do you ever have those little <sighs> jelly um, cups at mm. your primary school or school or when you were growing up? And um, you take off the lid and you'd like shot the little oh bit God, of jelly. Yeah. Um, but they got banned at my school and a lot of schools because one kid just fully swallowed mm. the entire thing and it's then a started choking. choking. It's a yeah. huge yeah. choking acid. Anyway, <laughs> don't do that. Um, Na- the hazard, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Naomi, Peach Blossom Spring is your first curatorial project. It's And its name is taken from... Tiao Yuan Ming's ancient legend of the same name. Could you tell us about the legend? Yeah, absolutely. So the story very basically is about a fisherman who discovers paradise. It's this community that has existed um, in the mountains past a grove of blossoming peach trees and they exist without any suffering. And so the fisherman leaves to tell his own people about this paradise and then when they try to return, the paradise has vanished and it is never found again. Um, in connection to this exhibition, this exhibition is about the places that we want to go back to. It's um, The artists are using their work to revisit an ephemeral place, especially the realms of memory, psyche and oral history. And so all of these ideas are seen through a Chinese-Australian perspective. Yeah, I've, when you talk about that and you're talking about 
diaspora and this and, and not just diaspora but this idea of wanting to go home I think of Stuart Hall who said diaspora is the idea that you can never go home again mm. which is like a painfully sad statement <laughs> mm. but also a very um common feeling for a lot of artists and not artists a lot of people um this idea of trying to find a home place and feeling caught between two kinds of worlds and neither one quite fitting um connor could you describe the work your work that's in this show yeah so my work in the show is um found childhood pictures of me um that have i've carved into a book and um placed it within like hand carved and um an ivy bag with an, another photo of me you know yeah and it's just an installation of that and how did that kind of fit into your kind of understanding of these concepts of trying to find your way back to an ephemeral place mm, so i've found those objects when i recently went back to um urumqi my hometown I think a year and a half ago and um yeah just rummaging my old things and going through that just really like sparked something in me that I haven't felt in a long long time um I may not remember what it like with vivid memories of what it was like but that feeling is very much the same and I think that just may really made me want to make like a series of work based on that yeah yeah um we spoke last week with curators of Colour Nanette Orley, Talia Smith and Sebastian Henry Jones about issues that arise from diaspora shows and or not necessarily diaspora shows, but the way in which um, diversity is curated. Um, so shows that only have artists of colour in them as part of their conceptual framework. Um, I wanted to ask you, Naomi, what the significance of presenting these artists in a show together was for you. Yeah, I think it was kind of... Um, an early and maybe naive decision that came. Yeah, well, I will explain. Yeah. So first of all, I'm primarily an artist more than a curator. Like mm -hmm. the slash curator has been a really recent addition. <laughs> so well, congratulations on the slash curator. Oh, thank, thank you so much. <laughs> Officially. So because I'm working with um, like Chinese Australian art in reference to myself, I'm really interested in finding new ways of representing the Chinese Australian experience and encountering new visualities for representing Chineseness. And so I feel like I've always had this extra attention to Chinese Australian artists and I have this extra admiration for them. Of course. Yeah, but also because this was my first curatorial project, I felt a little bit intimidated being in a position of like cultural responsibility over other people's stories. And mm. I felt a little bit scared to like commentate on experiences that were far from my own. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, you know, it's a really beautiful show. I was there on opening night and <laughs> it was packed. It's in the larger upstairs gallery and you have a lot of incredible artists from lots of different perspectives um, on the Chinese diaspora. Um, Connor, what was your experience presenting in the show like? Um, well, presenting the show, I think, yeah, this is my first um, time exhibiting. Congratulations. And thank you. It was just a bit nerve-wracking. Yeah, of course. Um, but um, I had a really, like, um, like, rich time making it, like, making, like, the whole process um, and talking about a Naomi, like, big thanks to Naomi for, like, 
um, helping me and supporting me along the way. Um, but yeah, um, was 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 how was it like on opening night seeing everyone's works kind of all together? Oh, it was incredible. It's like I think before the before the show we haven't really um, seen each other's works at all. Um, so seeing it like all in the room together, like just posh, final, like finished, <laughs> like or like sparkling clean. It was re- just really like like a, overwhelming. Like everybody had like such a um, huge voice and like so much to say about the um, just the. Um... That's alright. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I think that yeah, it's it's overwhelming to see. I think for me, like, I've been in a... F- my first show that I was ever in was an autonomous... I, I, a, a show that had only people of colour in it, only specifically South Asian video artists. And for me, it was this kind of relieving moment because my work wasn't just about my identity because everyone's work was about their identity. So it's this kind of conflicting thing being, like, it became a moot point, which was really refreshing yeah. and wonderful. And I got that same sense of relief in some ways from you and your artists and the care that you put into, you know, curating this work. Um, on that note, let's go to our next song from Beats International. This is Dub Be Good To Me, picked by Makita, uh, guest music curator. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. Damn, nitty gritty, you're listening to the boy from the big bad city. This is jam hot. This is jam hot. We just heard a track Dub Be Good To Me, the 1990 single by British dub group Beats International. I'm in the studio with Connor Shia and Nomi Segal. So, the tale... Sorry, I like, dramatically turned off the music in that moment. Um, <laughs> but the tale of Peach Blossom Spring is being used in your exhibition, Naomi, as, in some ways, a metaphor for Chinese diaspora. Um, this exhibition focuses heavily on the Han Chinese diaspora, which is not only the dominant ethnic group in China in terms of numbers and identity, but is one that is strategically enforced by the government on all Chinese citizens, including ethnic minorities. It's also a culture that, when we think about Chinese identity, it's what, I use West with square quotes around it, sees as quintessentially Chinese. Connor, with your work... I guess when we were talking about what we were going to talk about today, mm. we had this big conversation about... Well, not a big conversation, but we went over the pronunciation of where you were from. Mm. One, because I do not speak Mandarin, despite, you know, what my VCE certificate tells me. <laughs> it says that I can, I cannot. I did very badly. Um, but you were born in an autonomous region of China. Yep. Could you tell us a bit about this region? And maybe we can go into the pronunciation after that. Yeah, so um, Xinjiang is the west of China. Um, Xinjiang in Chinese, Han Chinese, obviously means um, it means new territory because it's obviously like a like a new, recently being taken under government control in the eighties, and um, it's it is officially an autonomous region, but not really ruled as such. Um, in 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 the meaning that Beijing still take govern and control over resources. Um, economic, e- commercial sense, like commercial, um, economy, like, yeah. Um, so, um, I grew up in Urumqi, which is the capital of Xinjiang, and it is like north center 
in the region. Um, and growing up, it was very much, uh, I just I was brought up culturally in the Han culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so my education, language, um, culture, all such was just, um, like what you consider Han Chinese. But growing up, I um, lived alongside the um, the Uyghur culture, which is um, like a Turkic origin. They had their um, Chinese Muslims, mm-hmm. but um, uh, they are, I guess, they, they called li- living in diaspora in China. Yes. Yes. So that's like a, another layer on top of that. And it might be partially where where that term of like new new area and new region comes from is yeah. this kind of recently occupied yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. So um, growing up, I never had the opportunity to be more involved in their culture. I would see it everywhere. It's like I lived among it, amongst it. Um, there's mosques, um, but it's kind was... of actively um, squashed down by yeah, yeah. the Han Chinese government. Well, more and more so now, um, because recently, um, uh, it's a bit hard to talk about because yeah, it's course. very upsetting to just mm. um, have this situation unfold and not not having much power to do anything about it. And not a lot of awareness towards what is happening in no, that area yeah. is given much light publicly even in um obviously not in china but then looking at countries like australia but then again you know australia is an occupied nation so yeah it's yeah Yeah. most people don't even know what Uyghur people are they don't we don't know that they exist really Mm. and we were talking about even the pronunciation of Uyghur Uyghur. Uyghur. um and we were talking about kind of the anglicization of pronouncing yeah um so Uyghur is very much um like a sinization mm-hmm. kind of term like um translating from chinese yes um but Uyghur is the turkic variant and what Uyghur people prefer yes um and it's just it's it's a bit hard on like the english tongue but we should I'd learn say. to pronounce but we things. really should yeah we should use them often like in the news even like you just hear Uyghur you don't you don't so hear the proper pronunciation yeah station as often but it really should be like especially as a western media platform we really should elevate that Mm. um but yeah and how does that work then relate to or how does like this situation this very deeply political and personal situation Mm. for you relate to the work that you created for naomi's show um yeah yeah so my work is um kind of based on my memories of this very classical Han Chinese um, literature that's called The Dreams from the Red, Tra- Red Chamber, sorry. Another um, story. Another yeah. story, yeah. <laughs> We're all inspired by stories today. Yeah. <laughs> it's very um, a complex show about um, China in the 18th century, which is they really use classical language and such, and as a child I could never really grasp it that easily so it's a very big vision for me but what I wanted to talk about is not necessarily per se the my work or um, the concept that I use but rather what's not visible in my work mm-hmm. is that it's so heavily um, like um, visibly recognizable Han Chinese that yes. you will not even guess that I grew up in an autonomous region of China yes. yeah um, and it's currently there are more and more detention centers um, in Urumqi um, and Xinjiang as a whole. And they've detained up to 
around or more than 1.5 million um, Uyghurs, Uyghurs, sorry, um, and other um, Muslim minorities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of families have uh, families living here um, have relatives missing there, and just there's no way to contact them. Yeah. Would I be able to jump in here? Yeah. Um, I really, really appreciated um, Connor's ongoing presence in this exhibition because I think when I started out with this whole premise of the past being ephemeral and this all being so magical, I was looking at it in a really like abstract art theory sort of standpoint. And then Connor's work and sort of the really heavy absence in his work um, was a reminder that, you know, history is not just magically ephemeral, but often it is forcibly erased by the government. Yeah, and I think that's a really important and poignant thing to think about when we are curating and thinking about the care and the love and the generosity that we're forming, but also acknowledging that, you know, our perspectives and the art we create are shaped by the society and communities that we live in. And so when we do create art, we are going to be influenced by those implications and those contexts. Yes. Um, And it's something that we constantly have to unlearn and restate and make apparent in our work. Mm. And I think that it's, I really appreciate both of you guys coming in today and talking about it. Um, Before we wrap up for today, Naomi, are there any public programs in your exhibition coming up? Yeah, well, the main thing is the first draft artist talks that are on the 26th of April, 6 to 7 p.m. at first draft. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And is there anything else you guys want to add? Oh, God, yeah. So... (laughs) (laughs) You're like, let me bring out my list. (laughs) Yeah, so the schedule's a little bit packed. (laughs) Let's see. So um, next Wednesday night is going to be a big night. At 5.30pm for Fatal Crush at UNSW Art and Design, I'll be doing a quick talk on Peach Blossom Spring. And then on that same night, Connor and I are going to be in Half Baked, an exhibition at Good Space. And um, in addition to that, I'm part of a really exciting project that I'm not allowed to talk about. TBA. So please watch this space. (laughs) It's very exciting. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for both of you coming in today. Thank you. That was Naomi Segal and Connor Shah talking about Peach Blossom Spring, which is open until the 26th of April. We've got a local track now from an old favorite of Canvas. This is Din with Biome. I'm Sibella D'Souza. play more of that track because that track was Biome from Sydney Power Duo Din featuring an old Canvas presenter Rainbow Chan and the very talented Alex Ward. I'm Sibella D'Souza and you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. I wanted to end the show with some recommendations about what you should go see today or tomorrow or in the next week um, in art. My recommendation is to go see The National. Hannah Bronte's work at the MCA is apparently incredible. Um, I say that because I yet have not seen The National and I really need to. We interviewed a few artists from The National last over the last few couple of weeks. 
So, you know, I should definitely do that. There's also a a solidarity and direct action workshop at the Red Rattler this Wednesday. The first discussion circle will be about settler privilege and anti-colonial action and race and will be facilitated by members of the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance. Refreshments and dinner is provided and First Nations people don't have to pay. Otherwise, it's 15 bucks or $10 for unwaged workers or unwaged non-workers. Um, so that's 5.30 till 9pm on Wednesday. As Naomi mentioned just before, there's also Fatal Crush happening at UNSW Undesign in the black box. Fatal Crush is an incredible series. I think originally started by Astrid LaRange um, at UNSW Undesign and it's run by the arts writers. And they just get a lot of really talented um, curators and critics to come in emerging from the university and talk about kind of like the research that they've been doing. I think I spoke about it once. I did a 10-minute reading of a work about me turning into Julia Roberts. So, you know, it's good. You should definitely go to that as well. And that's on Wednesday at 5 p.m., I think, or 6 p.m. I'll need to double check. It'll be on our website. I'd like to thank you for listening and a special thanks to our guests today, which is Angela Tiatia, Naomi Segal, and Connor Shah. You can find links to all the events mentioned today on our website, fbiradio.com, under the Programs tab, and then click Canvas. Canvas is brought to you by a team of artists, David Capra, who is currently not here, myself, Sabella D'Souza. Our music producer is Laura Hunt, and our guest music curator this week is Makita. Speaking of which, we'll be leaving you with a track from our talented music curator with her track, Bass Bass Trap, which is the third track of her EP, Life Trap, which was released, I think, last week on the 5th. Tune in next for Weekend Lunch with Martin Reyes. I'm Sabella D'Souza, and you're listening to Canvas. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.